Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. Governor Dave Thorson to introduce our speaker. Good afternoon, Rotarians. Great to be back in front of the club again here. I'm sure you're all aware that today is National Watermelon Day. And, uh, and I have an actual reason for bringing that up besides the fact that it's true. I want you to imagine for a minute trying to eat a watermelon, uh, or anything else for that matter, with a cleft lip or a cleft palate. Uh, something as simple and enjoyable as just eating some summer fruit, um, if you're deformed like that, can become a challenge and, and potentially even life-threatening if, if your condition's bad enough. Our speaker today is going to talk about Rotary's involvement and her involvement in the Rotoplast mission. Uh, we all know Marianne Avnet is our uh, past president the year before my year. Uh, she was also assistant governor for Group 14 last year, very involved in Rotary, uh, really uh, defines our motto, service above self. And when she's not serving Rotary, she's flying across the country to be the built-in babysitter for a, a wide and growing variety of grandchildren. Please give it up for past president Marianne Avnet. Thank you, David. First of all, it does feel good to be back up here again. It's good to have you be able to hear me when I'm back up here again. And with that said, I also have to tell you, though, that um, I'm excited about the fact that I get to talk about my very favorite thing, which is rotoplast. Um, so most of you, I hope, were here in March when Dr. Angelo Capozzi came and talked about rotoplast. How many of you heard, remember hearing him talk? Cool, so you've got some idea, but I want to do, I mean, I do just a little level setting for any of you who aren't familiar. Uh, rotoplast is not part of Rotary, but it certainly is very, very connected. Rotoplast was formed in 1992 by two Rotarians, Dr. Capozzi and Peter Ligarius, members of the San Francisco Rotary Club. And they thought to themselves, I think that I would um, like to do um, kind of a one-off a one thing. They took one trip to Chile, they thought, to do a medical mission down there. And then the following year, they were like, let's do it again. And in 1996, Rotoplast spun off and became its own entity. I have to tell you that Dr. Capozzi is probably one of my personal heroes. He is, um, this is the only thing I have to refer to my notes for, I swear, but I had to, um, he was um, getting an award in 2016. He was the honorary inductee of the College Sports Information Directors of America Academic All-America Hall of Fame. And to achieve that, it has to be um, an All-American who received a college diploma at least 10 years ago, have achieved lifetime success in their professional careers, and are committed to philanthropic causes. He was um, an all-star pitcher for Notre Dame in 1955, well before most of your time. Um, but he is um, he's a very special person, 84 years old. 
He has more stamina and work ethic than almost every, anybody I can know. And so it is my goal to have um, as much uh, stamina when I'm 84 years old. For any of you who are geographically challenged like I am, I'm going to tell you about two trips that I got to take this past year with Rotoplast. One of them was to Lima, Peru. And so Lima is on the left side on the coast there. A lot of people probably know that. But the other one that I took last fall was to Silet, Bangladesh. And I have to admit that I said, yes, I would go to Bangladesh without actually knowing where Bangladesh was. And so I thought it would be useful to put it up here. It's kind of surrounded by India, very, very populous country. Silet is has 10 million people in that city. And so trust me when I say when you walk out onto the street, you see so many people you can't even believe it. This is what a rotoplast team tends to look like in the San Francisco airport. It's kind of how you um, identify your fellow ro Rotarians and your fellow volunteers and your medical volunteers. And when all the um, people get together, uh, it is there are about 30 people in a, um, in a rotoplast mission. Because District 5300 was the co-sponsor of the trip to Lima, we got the opportunity to send four non-medical volunteers. So a lot of you will recognize Robin Smith from the Downtown Club, Greg Jones from Pasadena After Hours, who um, will follow Lou Arredondo as district governor, uh, Jill Dolan from Pasadena, or excuse me, from Pomona. She was our photojournalist. If anybody did follow our daily blog, she took all the pictures and wrote it every night. And then me. The doctors and the medical people that come as to part, be part of a rotoplast mission um, come from all over the world. So most of our doctors um, this time, we had a lot from the United States. Um, we had a strong contingent from British Columbia and one um, who came from New Delhi, India. And he found out about rotoplast when rotoplast visited India and he said, hey, I want in on this. So here he is um, in Peru as part of the team. When you think about being a volunteer, you know, you might think about there's people who are taking two weeks vacation to be able to go, or if you're lucky enough to be like me, you're retired. Um, but when a plastic surgeon closes his practice for two weeks, that is a pretty significant um, a commitment that he is making and a pretty significant financial um, commitment that he makes to go away and do something good like this. And then there's volunteers that I thought it was really neat that I was getting to do my third um, mission. This guy, Joe Grasso, he was doing his 16th mission. Um, he happened to be an old neighbor of Dr. Capozzi's, and that's how he found out about it. And he's a sterilizer, loves it. I think it's like the most tedious job he could possibly have on a rotoplast mission. But man, it's his specialty, and he loves doing this. So I met, have met so many volunteers that make it their goal to do a rotoplast mission every year. So, you know, you take off from San Francisco and you end up somewhere. And this is Dhaka, which is the capital of Bangladesh. And so when you land there, this is where we had to go through um, customs initially. And when you think about lines, um, believe me, Bangladesh has nothing but lines. And this is the most important part of the trip. Uh, the fact that you're traveling with 34 huge boxes of supplies. Um, they bring everything from their sterilizer machine. They bring, you know, every um, pair of rubber gloves and booties and everything that they could possibly bring with them. And uh, 
standing in the Lima airport at about 1 o'clock in the morning, um, customs decided that they should give us a pretty hard time. Um, maybe they were just doing their job, of course, but they got the, uh, the manifest out and decided, you know, like, show me the box that has this piece of equipment with this, uh, this particular serial number in it. And so we didn't get out of there and get to the hotel until about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, but it's been worse. Um, Dr. Cavozzi shared that there are, were um, a couple of places they've gone where Customs has decided to hang on to their boxes for two or three days, which means nothing happens um, until you get your boxes back. But this is what happens to the boxes after they get there. Everywhere they go, somebody, there is going to be a little room with a lock on it. And so Dennis here was our quartermaster, and he was kind of responsible for turning those boxes into our storeroom, and he knew where everything was all week long um, for both weeks. If somebody needed something, Dennis knew where it was, or else he would be off in search of it um, on a local basis. One of the things that I, I am particularly fond of, the last two trips, I got to be the recreation therapist, and that means that, you know, when kids um, or even teenagers, sometimes even adults come um, to rotoplast for surgery, they're coming at least a day ahead of time. Um, and there's not an awful lot for them to do. So everybody that is a volunteer or part of the mission um, brings things. And um, so but I had a hard time getting two weeks worth of clothing into my suitcase after all of this stuff. And um, the airline didn't think it was funny that I was seven pounds over. But so here's the um, strong connection. A lot, a lot of the rotoplast missions, not all of them, are sponsored by a Rotary District, just like this past one was. Um, but the real key, too, is that there has to be a Rotary Club on the ground, because the Rotary Club on the ground is the one that is, I've got it, you know what? i got a clock here, and I will just talk and talk and talk. So I'm going to make sure I look at my clock here. Um, there's a Rotary clock on the ground that is responsible for telling people that a Rotoplast mission is coming. So this was the, um, the big banner that was hanging in the front of the women's hospital in Silet when we went there. This is the one um, that was hanging um, on the hospital in Lima. In addition, though, there's going to be posters that are placed you know, all around there. There, are people, there will be people who will travel for hours and hours um, in order to get there to be able to have a free surgery, which is the only kind of surgery um, that their children or their family members are likely to get. And the very first day, this is what preclinic tends to look like. I know this is kind of a dark picture, but this was preclinic in Bangladesh. Um, so many people that show up and they just wait their turn um, taking the opportunity to, you know, everybody gets a number, everybody has their picture taken with their file. They are evaluated by nurses and doctors to make sure that they're not sick, to make sure that they have the ability to be able to be helped. And then this was the front of the hospital in Lima. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I think sometimes um, us folks in America, we get a little impatient when we have to stand in line. There are people that waited 10 hours to get in there that day, and you never heard anybody complaining. Um, but then the really tough part happens because this is when Dr. Capozzi, who is the medical director there, um, Jim, who is the head nurse from, from Pennsylvania, and um, Evelyn Abad, who um, staffs every single mission that goes out. She is a 25-year volunteer. She does every single mission. She's been with Dr. Capozzi from the beginning. She makes not a cent in, in income. Um, then they have to decide, 
of the hundred plus people that come in, who are the ones that they're going to actually be able to help? And those are tough choices because some people realize that if they get sent home, they're not going to have um, any other choices until maybe the mission comes again the following year. Just to give you an idea, though, of what it's like, um, it's not like our hospitals. When you go um, to the hospital in Bangladesh or in Peru, you're, um, these people, everybody's staying in a ward. Um, in, in Salat, we had two rooms right next to each other, one that was pre-op where people would come in the day before, and then one that they would move to the day of surgery and, and, and subsequent to that. Um, you'll notice, we're talking cots, not much, not much room in between here. And in Bangladesh particularly, it was a family affair. So you're not, you know, you're talking, you know, like mother, child, um, sisters and brothers, sometimes three aunts, um, dad, you know, whoever was there. But this is what they got. Uh, when you looked, though, at the facilities in Peru, it was um, even a little bit more challenging because... Um, and the thing that seems strangest to me, you know, I mean, we're used to privacy and HIPAA laws and so forth, and none of that exists in other countries. So we got males, females, we got kids here. Um, the thing that was kind of challenging there, though, is that the um, kind of, you know, kids from here up through adult were in one ward. Our babies were over in a different building altogether. Uh, so that made it just a little bit more challenging, um, did a lot of running back and forth, uh, Every morning, um, the, the surgical schedule would be published the night before, but the first thing in the morning, the pediatricians, um, and there's, all, there's two pediatricians, one always in post-op and one in the wards, and they would examine um, the patients, make sure that they were healthy, that they weren't running a fever, and most of all, that mom hadn't fed them because that's a tough one, you know? You have a baby that's hungry, and they, um, a breastfed baby has to be at least six hours, a formula-fed baby at least eight hours, um, adults, you know, even longer. And so she would check every morning um, and determine um, if they were still uh, eligible for surgery that day. And believe me, that's a big heart rate, heartbreak for some people when they find out that maybe their child has a fever. And um, unfortunately, they just can't have surgery that day. When I was in Salette, I had a playroom, and it was what I think was a little tiny classroom. It wasn't very big, had a whiteboard at the end, and I had all these like little chairs in there and desks. So moved them out to the side, and this was where kids could come, kids, siblings, parents, everybody kind of came in to get off the ward and have some place to play. They didn't have a separate room in Lima. So in Lima, I just kind of carried a big bag around of stuff around with me, and I'd go from bed to bed to make sure that everybody had, had things to play with. But this is such a novelty, especially um, in Salat, because they never had anything like that there. So in the doorway of my room, there were always just people gathered looking in, wanted to see what was going on. We had crayons, we had markers. As the week progressed, all of those walls got covered with everybody's pictures, and it became pretty bright and cheerful. Um, those, like, somewhat creepy blow-up dolls were um, nice gifts from the local Rotary Club, but you know what? Um, they, were pretty, they were pretty cool to have there, but it was really nice to be able to have that um, separate room. Every child that goes through surgery uh, comes out of surgery with the most gorgeous quilt, handmade, um, 
by, in this particular case, the quilt sponsor was the hotel, or hotel club, the Rotary Club of Venezia, which I found out today was um, in California. I think, um, I thought that it was in Maine. So apparently there's different Rotary Clubs that do this. Um, but they're beautiful, and everybody gets one, and they all look different. So this is one of my first little girls that I got to um, play with in Salette. Um, and as you can see, first of all, she colors really well. And second of all, she had what might be considered to be a pretty um, serious facial deformity. This is what she looked like when she went home. And as she healed, she's going to be significantly different. Uh, when I talked about being a family affair, this was her family that came. People in Bangladesh don't seem to smile for the camera. I'm not sure why exactly, but they're pretty happy people, but they don't smile a lot whenever I took their pictures. Um, the, you know, being in, being in Bangladesh was such a unique um, opportunity for me because it is just a very different um, kind of country than I had ever been exposed to before. But we were very different to them too because believe me, the white people, as they called us, and especially the blonde-haired ones, were such a novelty. So I don't know how many times a day people would be like, can I take your picture? Can I take your picture? Can I take your picture? Um, made me realize I needed to do my hair every day. Um, but such cool people. Um, they are, um, the country is about 82% Muslim, um, about 17% Hindu, and, um, you know, and a smattering of, of Christians in there at the, at the end. If I had more time, I would tell you the story of Dr. Capozzi trying to find um, a church to go to Mass at. He didn't. Um, this was just like one of my favorite little girls. I never knew who she was because I assumed she was a sibling, but I could never figure out because I never saw her with anybody else, but she was at my door every morning when I unlocked the door at about quarter of eight. She would be there with a big smile on her face, and she would just come in. She colored, she played, she did all kinds of stuff, and you'll notice really, really fancy dress, and I noticed that a lot of the people would dress their daughters in, like, the best dress that they had. Now, they would wear that dress every day, um, but so sweet. And that was one of the other things that I have truly loved about Rotoplast is I certainly did not have any language skills in Silat, and I don't speak Spanish either. But what I found is that you can communicate all day long uh, with people without language. And at the end of, you know, it would be like, you know, we would usually get to the hospital by 7 o'clock and we wouldn't leave until about 7.30 at night. And all of a sudden, you know, one day it was like, huh, I feel like I've talked to people all day. But... Now, I, we just didn't share the language, but we had plenty of communication. And everybody would come in. There was a lot of fathers really involved, especially in Salette, since they had a little bit more room, I guess if you could call it that. Loved this woman. She spoke a little bit of English, and she told me that her two-year-old daughter was very naughty. Um, but I think that kind of goes with being two. These two girls, I always would ask before I took anybody's picture, and they were sitting next to each other um, coloring or something. As soon as they said yes, that I could take their picture, though, they immediately covered their heads, which I also found was pretty much, um, it is some, there is some choice to that. So some women would cover their heads and some women wouldn't. Um, but the little girl on the left there, you'll see, this is her in the picture. She, although we Rotoplast does mostly cleft lip, cleft palate, some burns. Um, this little girl was born with six digits on one foot, so she went home with, um, with five. And that's why she's resting her, uh, resting her foot there. 
Love this woman. One of the questions that um, people, anybody who spoke English, they had, Eng they had questions that they would always ask me. Oh, well, one, because it was the first week in November and it was election week. But the other question that they would always ask me was, um, how old are you? Which apparently is a perfectly acceptable question to ask. And so I said, you know, I would say, I'm 66. And they would be like, whoa, like you should be dead by now or something. So I don't know. I, I don't know how old this woman is. She's obviously the grandmother, though, because she would come into the playroom, and she would always have, you know, little ones with her. But the thing that I loved, first of all, look at how she squats. I don't know. I mean, that is like something that you have to grow up with as a lifetime of being able to do that because um, I would need help to get up off the floor if I was doing that. But this was her um, every day at some point when she got a little free time. She'd come back into the playroom all by herself, She'd pull her head scarf up a little bit more, and she would sit and color. Um, and so I had a couple of those adult coloring books with me um, with the um, markers. You know, not dirty pictures, Tom. I didn't mean those kind of adult coloring books. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, you know, I made sure that she, took, um, that she took a set home with her because I didn't know anybody. But it was just so cool to see that. And it wasn't at all unusual at the end of the day to look around and every seat would be taken with, with um, adults and kids um, sitting and coloring. And bubbles, of course, are universal. Everybody has bubbles and everybody loves them. Um, a baby after surgery, you'll notice what's on, they, they, they call those no-nos. And it simply means, it's simply a way, it's made of cardboard, and somebody in California um, takes the time to cover them in, um, with nice flannel so they're real pretty. But babies get no-nos on their arms so they don't pull at things, they don't touch. Uh, these guys were nursing students, and they thought it was so much fun to drop in every day and try out everything. Um, took... I don't know how many selfies, um, but I thought it was kind of cool. They would drop, they, they were kind of constant. This is one thing that was different between Salette and, and, and Lima, was um, this dark picture, but you can probably see the guns. There was tremendous security um, for us uh, when we were in Bangladesh. And so this um, covered truck with four guys in it with guns um, drove us, uh, they drove ahead of us everywhere that we went. There were armed guards in front of the hospital. There were armed guards in front of the elevator. Uh, these were the, the hotel guys. These two women came in to check out the play, playroom one day and said I could take their picture. So, um, But you know what? I never felt like I wasn't safe I, because we did what we were told. And what we were told, you just don't wander off by yourself. You know, everybody wanted us to have a good mission and be careful. So we went really nowhere but the hotel. Um, and the hospital. One of the things I found that people really liked were puzzles. Puzzles were cool. So I bought more of them before I went to Peru. It's not, you know, at, um, Bangladesh people were so intelligent, but this was a novelty. You could tell that they hadn't had them. And so the parents always got into it. They like really enjoyed that. Everybody knows that I've, we have twins in our family, so I was always very, very partial whenever I would see twins. Had to make sure that we got their picture, so these twins were in the second week. Um, like I said, a lot of dads um, really involved. This particular little girl, a very small, um, very small skull compared to her body. But the neat thing about, um, about it, as far as my role goes, Everybody who goes on a rotoplast mission would tell you the story from their point of view. So the surgeons have a story, and the recovery room people have a story. Um, me, 
I can only tell you the fact that I never, almost never knew people's names, and I didn't know why they were there, but I could tell you what they liked to play with. This was a favorite, but... So now we're down in Peru, and in Peru, um, in the, over in the children's ward, they had cribs. And so that's the first time I had seen that on a mission, and it may sound like it's a good idea, um, but what that meant was that we had a room that had, I forget whether it was eight or ten cribs in it, but, you know, when you've got kids that are in the hospital, you've got people that are staying there, um, there is not, you know, there's not a lot of space. And so these straight chairs that were next to them, that is exactly where they stayed. Um, I don't believe the, how fast the time goes by because I have so many stories that I want to tell you. But I'm going to tell you um, this one story um, that, about this girl that I met in preclinic day. She was 17, um, and she's beautiful. David, she reminded me so much of Maya when I saw her. Long, dark hair, very thin, so attractive. She, this, she was there for her ninth surgery. And so you can see here that, you know, they've made a mold of, of her mouth. Um, the, she had a friend that was in the next bed, and the reason they got to be friends is that over the years, they have a, um, shown up at the hospital so many times together. And they were having um, a pretty serious operation, both of them, um, because, and this was something that um, is not normally part of a rotoplast mission, but they brought some very talented surgeons with them. Um, and they did several of these um, surgeries, they called, where, where they would basically take someone who has had um, their cleft lip and cleft palate repaired already, but their jaw needs to be repositioned. And so it's dislocated, it's moved forward, it gives them a different look, and it's a really big deal. I mean, it's a five or six hour surgery, so it takes a long time, and it means you can do fewer of other things. But the cool thing was about this, this is her brother. And they have these little twin boys, and they were there for surgery too. Um, and I had a really, really good time with them. This is their grandmother. She spoke a little bit of English, and we liked each other a lot. Here's, here's him coming out of surgery. Um, one, of the, one of the girls that was there, I just you know to give you an idea, she was there for a revision that was going to require, I don't like to show bloody pictures, but look at the cool teeth that they gave her. So they took out the ones that hadn't come in quite right, and they made her some new teeth, and then they fixed her lip, which had a big scar on it. And so by the time she went home, she had like nice new teeth, and she was in good shape. Um, this is something that you don't see very much here. Uh, this is how, because we were in a different building, this is how somebody gets from post-op back over to the children's ward. So we've got one of our nurses there, and she's carrying the, uh, she's carrying the IV. And we, um, um, the woman in navy blue is our translator, uh, walking along with mom and just, you know, hanging out, getting to the right place. Big hit in, uh, in Lima because we had so many older kids because that were coming back for their second, third, fourth surgery. We made a lot of potholders, or they did. And again, did all of this with no language, um, but everybody liked them. I brought one loom with me. One of the pediatricians bought four. I always had all five of them going at the same time. And then people decided they could make purses out of them if they made two. So um, they got pretty, um, they got pretty, um, pretty clever about doing, about doing that. I wanted to just, I want to share um, just like one more story. This is two moms um, that were there together. Moms, a lot of the moms, very young. 
And um, so this little guy here, this is the reality of having your child there. That chair was all they had. So if you're spending three days in the hospital, um, that chair is all the parents had. Um, and so they were very often pretty darn... Um, this is my, my funny picture here because I bought a um, little thing of toilet seat covers that I could take with me only to discover there's no toilet seats, so didn't really need them. And um, this here is, uh, that, that's, the, uh, that's um, Peruvian air conditioning. It's called opening the window. So anyway, those two women are sisters, and they both had babies that had cleft lips, and they both had them fixed that week, and it's like a hideous picture of me, but that's not the point, um, so that's why I wanted to share it with you. This is kind of the before and after of one of the mom's pictures. This is a guy who had the really serious surgery. Not everybody has to have the head halo on, um, but the good thing about um, this is that First of all, this was amazing that this was they were able to bring this kind of incredible um, knowledge and skill um, with the doctors that came to this mission. But this guy here, um, he had the surgery the year before. So the good thing was he came back for a revision, but he got to show them that it would be worth it because look how good um, he looks. And um, this, unfortunately, it was that, you know, but... Fortunately, unfortunately, I discovered that um, for the first time that I had seen this, there's such a thing as a really severe cleft. And this poor little boy, he was almost two, um, he had the most severe facial deformity I'd ever seen. If they were in the United States, um, there's a lot that could be done, but it would be multiple steps. But they did a pretty darn great job here. Little boy's almost blind because it means that his eyes didn't develop well. But when you know, when you looked at him and his mom, she was just as proud of him as any mom ever is. Um, and I never saw a dad, so I don't know if there was one there. But anyway, he went home looking, um, looking better. This little girl loved the xylophone, and uh, so we made sure that she got it. I'm Russian, Michael. I know I. Um, I just, um, one of the things when I said that they brought different skills this time to be able to do the more um, complicated things. Don Lee brought was the one who made all of the impressions that crafted the teeth. And he did something on this mission um, that no one had ever done before. This woman, her name is Milagros, which I understand in Spanish means miracle, which is pretty true. And she had written an email because she missed pre-clinic day. So she wants to be an architect, but she has a very serious cleft palate. And it was not it was not something that could be fixed with surgery. And so consequently, her speech was very bad, and that is isolating. And so she had very few friends, um, but she really wanted to know, is there anything they could do to help? And so Don, the guy in the green scrubs there, crafted the, for the first time a speech ball, which she could put into her mouth. And if I had the um, knowledge of how to pull a video, off of someplace else, I would have shown you this picture of her whistling for the first time because she'd never been able to do that. Don did three of these speech bulbs while we were there. Um, and I think it's so amazing to see the speech pathologist work. The woman on the left there um, is also the president. Of, she's a, of the host Rotary Club there and worked um, to bring this these people um, to bear here. So I want to show you just one more quick thing, and then I'll, I'll let, I, I will stop talking. In Salette, um, the 
um, past president of the Rotary Club, um, had wanted to take us to the Rotary Hospital. And so the last day, after everything else was done, he took me and one of the other volunteers. And I just wanted you to see, sometimes when we do a matching grant, and you wonder, like, what does it actually do? This was in this, this little hospital is not what you would call a hospital. But as a doctor, he realized he had no place to send somebody who needed rehab. They're just, it, the facility didn't exist. And so he started this matching grant project. And so they're hanging on the wall are all the Rotary Clubs that supported his matching grant. And that was our group at the very end. So thank you so much for letting me share some of my story. Thank you, past president Marianne. Unfortunately, there's not time for questions. I wanted her to finish her story because I thought there it would be more interesting, but you all know where to find her because she's a member of our club. So as you know, thank you for your time. We'll be donating a pair of shoes and socks to a needy child in your name. Thank you. Thanks, Marianne. So as I like to say every week, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.